Let's pray, everybody. Lord, um, that's really the reason why we exist. It's why you woke us up today. It's to realize that you put, you put breath in our lungs. And we live, we breathe, we move for you. And I just pray, Lord, that that's what we all can come around here today, maybe even starting today for somebody, is to start to realize that life is for you, made by you, it's for you. We exist for you, for your glory. And though many of us can praise and lift up your name, all will praise you, all tongues, every single tongue that has ever existed will bow their knee, every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And I just thank you for that opportunity we have, to, Lord, to call you that, to call you Lord. I pray you'd be with the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we started a series a number of weeks ago, five weeks ago. This is week number five of what we call Fab Five. And um, reason why we call it Fab Five is because we think that Jesus gave five fabulous commandments. He says, man, if you can get these five things, and here's what we also know. We know that Jesus spent, um, you know, the years that he was on earth, three and a half years on earth, um, teaching these, teaching these, t telling them this is what you can. And so what you probably have already discovered if you've been tracking with us is that, boy, these commands are hard. They're hard. You know, they're, it's like you, you hear them and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that, you know. And, and what we said right off the bat, what we said right off the bat, that Jesus' commands are less complicated, so they don't have as many commands. Jesus' commands are less complicated, but they're certainly more demanding. Have you discovered that? They're, they're certainly less complicated, so there's not 600-plus commands that the, you know, the nation of Israel had to follow, or, and they try to simplify that, or they put that in a table of content, which was the Ten Commandments, which you know of. And, and so they said, you know, listen, Jesus said, listen, I, I don't want to complicate things anymore, so let me just give you five commands, five commands, these five things. And I'm telling you, yeah, they're less complicated to remember, but they're certainly more demanding. But the reason why we think that Jesus, we know that Jesus taught these is because Jesus wants you to know, and what, what I've come to believe personally, and probably, hopefully, many of you in this room, that life is better following Jesus. That life is better following Jesus, and following Jesus makes you better at life. Amen. And that's really the whole idea around these teachings of Jesus. He says, listen, I want you to have a better life. I want you to have a better life. Are, are, you, are you happy in your life? Are you satisfied in your life? Do you, where do you find your, your joy in your life? Where do you find that fulfillment? Jesus said, I, I want you to know you can only find it in me. And so when you follow my teachings, when you listen to my commands and you obey them and you do them and you apply them to your life, he says, I want you to know that it's, just, it's better following me. And Jesus says, I want you to know that it makes you better at life. And so it's one thing to say, oh, okay, you know, I, this is what he says. You know, and, and we, you know, one, we said that 
You know, Juan talked about sin no more, sin no more, sin no more. And that seems daunting for many of us. How do we not do that? How do we stop sinning? You know, how do I go about that? Well, you know, early disciples, early followers, people that were closest to Jesus, Jesus' closest companions, they learned how to sin no more, sin less in their life. And so we talked about what that looks like and what sin does to us and how sin is packaged with a whole lot of consequences that bring a lot, a whole lot of pain. I don't know if you discovered that in your life so far, that what sin does is it's packaged and it brings about a whole lot of pain. We, we know that to be true. And then Jesus said, hey, don't, not only to sin no more, but I don't want you to worry anymore. Boy, that, you're like, oh man, sin is hard enough, but are you kidding me? I don't have to worry? Jesus tells me not to worry anymore. And yeah, what, you know, because he knows what you need. Jesus says, don't worry, I know what you need. Like, I know what you're going through, I know what you're dealing with, I know what you're struggling with, I know what's going on in your life. I know what you need. He knows what you need. Then we looked at the idea of, of, of forgive. Oh my goodness, you know, people that have experienced so much, so much pain, so much hurt, so much, and then they, they store up all this hurt and they pain and, they, and that brings about bitterness and resentment and and Jesus says, hey, you know how you get rid of hurt? You know how you remove pain? You know how you get rid of that out of your life? Because really, the reality is, Jesus says, it does more harm to you. It does more harm to you when you store up that bitterness and that resentment. It's, it's, just, it's, just, hurting, it's just hurting you. And so he says, the way that you rid yourself of that is you, have, you, should, you should forgive and the disciples go, well, how many times, Jesus? How many times do we go round and round and round with somebody that has hurt us and continues to hurt us? How many times? And Jesus said, every time. Every time. Boy, they sound more demanding, don't they? Less complicated. Don't sin. Don't worry. Forgive. Then he says, hey, don't fear. Don't fear. You don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't, be, don't worry. You don't need to be afraid of anything. You say, even when something's to be, I'm supposed to be afraid of something? Yeah, he says, even when you're afraid of something, don't be afraid. And he tells us, you know what we should do? We should take courage because what comes about is fear. What comes about is, you know, anxiety, panic. What That just hits us. But he says, I want you to, in those moments, he says, I want you to take courage. Take it. Take it. This one, he tells us, Fab Five, number five. You ready for this? Don't doubt. Don't doubt. You know, this is one of the biggest questions I get asked as a pastor. Now, no, no, never in then like with a large group, but always within a, like a one-on-one. -on -one, I always get asked, Pastor, and it's always like a whisper voice. <laughs> pastor, and they look around to see if anybody's, you know, peering in or something. I'm like, we're just, we're in my office alone. The door's shut. Don't worry about it. Pastor, do you doubt? And you know what I say? Never. No. Of course I have doubts. Of course we have doubts. We all have doubts. You know, you're here and you're maybe sitting here and somebody, you know, bribed you into coming to church today or offered to buy you breakfast or lunch. And, and listen, I'm glad that they did. I'm glad that you, you're here. But you may be sitting here. You might have some doubts. You might have some doubts. I got news for you. Good news for you. Did you know those that were the closest to Jesus, those who were closest to Jesus, 
100% of Jesus' followers doubted. 100% of Jesus' followers doubted. Those that were, that were spent time with Jesus, those that walked with Jesus, those that were near to Jesus, those that heard Jesus talk every single day for three plus years, 100% of Jesus' followers doubted. As a matter of fact, it wrote, they wrote about it. They, the guys that you know, brought us the story of Jesus, they wrote about it. They said, you know, we had doubts. You know, they even admitted to the fact that they had some doubts in their life. And it says that in the end of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus, after Jesus died, and after Jesus resurrected, came out of the, uh, out of the grave, that they, he started appearing to people. And, and Paul wrote, wrote that Jesus appeared to, you know, hundreds of people. He says, at one time, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. But Jesus, on multiple different occasions, appeared to his disciples, and then when he showed up, he, look, what, look what they write. Look at Luke writes when they showed up, Luke 24, 38. And he said to them, when Jesus shows up, after they saw him die, after, now they're seeing him alive after he died on the cross. He shows up, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? You know, another occasion, the women came to the tomb and they, they discovered that the tomb was empty. And these women go back and find the disciples because they were cowards. They were afraid. They were hiding because they thought if he arrests this guy and crucify this guy, they're going to arrest us and maybe crucify us. And so they ran for the hills. And so the women went to go to the tomb to prepare the body because a man did it. And so they thought man did it wrong. So I got to redo it. That's what women think. And so just making sure you're listening. And so... They, had, they see that the tomb is empty. They head back. And you know what, Peter? You know what, Peter? You know, you know Peter. You know, we name our kids Peter. You know, it's like, you know this guy. He's like one of the guys that was closest to Jesus. You know what he said to the women after they said, the tomb is empty? You know what, they, you know what he said? That's nonsense. It's nonsense. Like, like who writes this? Luke's writing this down going, you said, Peter, that this is nonsense? And he's like, yeah, I said it. I don't know. I didn't think it would. I, I had my doubts. One of the occasions that Jesus showed up to his disciples, you know, um, he, he was in the, and, and one of the guys wasn't there. And his name was Thomas. And Jesus has appeared and Thomas was, who knows where Thomas was doing. He just was like, I'm out of here. He died. It's over. I wasted three plus years of my life. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, fall for that trap anymore. And Thomas went about doing his, his thing. But on this occasion that Jesus reappeared to his disciples, Thomas was there. And before Jesus walks in, Thomas goes, unless I can put my hand in the holes of his hand and in his feet, I don't believe. I won't believe. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, Thomas, paraphrasing, hey, Thomas. And Thomas is like, whoa, whoa, and Jesus is, Jesus, I love this because anytime you want to poke around Christianity, if you're serious about it, you'll discover the validity of it. And so, and so, and so Jesus shows up and he says, hey, Thomas, show me your, let me, let me see your hands. And he grabs Thomas's hands. He puts Thomas's finger in his holes of his hands. I know, is that gross? It's kind of gross. And he says, Jesus, is, you know what Jesus was saying? Hey, if you want to poke around, go ahead. 
And you know he's still challenging us today to do that? 2,000 plus years later. Hey, if you want to poke around, go for it. I'm not afraid of that. I'll t- you'll only discover the validity of the message of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And he says, I want you to know, I want you to poke around. But here, this is the whole point of all this. To, f- to follow Jesus, you don't have to have all your doubts worked out. Did you know that for three plus years, I don't know how many times I've said that, three plus years, they, they were with Jesus and they all still doubted. And one of the guys was named, coined, still to this day, we call him Doubting Thomas. And Thomas is in heaven annoyed every single time going, why do you keep bringing that up? Okay, who's gonna believe a resurrection? I know, like I need, like, he's annoyed right now. I know, and so, but this is, the, this is how they were. Now, this wasn't at the front end of his ministry. This was at the back end of his ministry. This was after his resurrection, meaning you can still follow Jesus even if you have some doubts. Like, and I hope that that's encouraging for some of you in here because you're here going, oh, I've never asked Pastor Chris this, but man, I wonder, does he have doubts like I have doubts? And 100% of Jesus' followers had their doubts. But Jesus knew this. And Jesus' command, command number five, is don't doubt me. Don't doubt me. Now, we, if you're here last week, we looked at this story. It was the start of the story where we took the one principle of take courage. It was when they were afraid and they had something to be afraid of. And Jesus said, hey, hey, guys, 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 even though you have something to be afraid of, even in those moments when you are afraid, I want you to take courage. Instead of taking fear and instead of letting fear take over, I want you to take courage instead. And so that's the story if you were here last week. So that's where we're going to pick it up again in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, starting in verse 24, says, But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, this is like, well, this is if you're a doubter. You're like, ah, uh, the validity of this guy claiming that he walked on the sea. Sure, yeah, you have those doubts. That's okay. You, got, you have those doubts. And so here, I love Mark's version of it. Mark writes that Jesus was just kind of walking by the boat. So the disciples were out on the water. And Mark writes that Jesus was just walking. Hey, guys, I'll see you on the other side. You know, like, like just casually walking like out on the, on the street, you know. Jesus is literally walking on the sea. And it says in verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Of course they thought it was a ghost. When have they ever seen anybody walk on water? Never. And so, of course, they thought it was a ghost. They're they like, What in the world? What is that? That's a ghost. Nobody's ever walked on water before. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, take courage. Yeah, fear comes, but take courage instead. Instead of letting fear fester, take courage instead. It is I. It's not a ghost. It's me, Jesus. Do not be afraid. 
Now, this is where we're going to pick it up in the story because now here's what happens. Now, this week, here's, here's what happens next. Verse 28. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, this is important. This isn't a, well, I'm just going to, Peter wasn't like in a whim, you know, caught up in the emotion, thought it was about him. And Peter's like, well, if he's walking on water, I guess I can walk on water too. That's not what happened. Peter said, Lord, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Meaning you need to tell me that I can do it. I'm going to say that again. You need, Lord, you need to tell me that I can do this. And then, verse 29, and he said, come. All right, Peter. I love that faith. Come. And Peter got out of the boat. Everybody else is still in the boat. Remember, all of his other you know, disciples are in the boat. But Peter's like, if he tells me I can come out on the water, boy, what an experience that would be. And he says, Jesus, if you tell me I can, I will. Jesus, if you tell me I can, I can. And Jesus says, you can. So come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now, this is incredible faith. Do you see it? This is extraordinary faith. This is, man, the kind of faith that everybody else is hanging out in the boat, but Peter's going, no, no, I want to experience a better, I want to experience better life. I want to experience more of God in my life. And so he says, I'm coming out. So Peter came out and he came towards Jesus. Then the worst conjunction in the Bible, verse 30, but this is us. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. By, by the way, this is a great prayer. I prayed this when I was about six years old. Lord, save me. And he did. He forgave me of all my sins. And I, got, I now get to go and spend eternity with him when I leave this place. Isn't that a great prayer? That's all you have to say. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Do you notice though? Look how this is. Even when, even while, this is important, even while Peter was doubting, Jesus still reached out to him. Even while Peter was sinking in his doubt. Why? Because he was looking at all of the circumstances around him, which is what we do. We exhibit great faith at some point, and then we let the circumstances of life overtake us. And so then we start to sink in our doubt. Is God real? Is, God, is this true? Is this better for me? Can I believe it? Should I be doing this as he's walking on water? And in his doubt, while he's sinking, Jesus still reaches out and grabs a hold of him. 
And not in a condemning way. Don't read it that way. Maybe preachers like me, you've heard this said before. Jesus is like, you of little faith, you dork. You know, like, what's the matter with you? You know, like, that's not what Jesus said. That's not how he said it. Jesus is like, you of little faith. You were so close to getting this. Why did you let doubt overtake you in the end of verse 32 when they got into the boat the wind stopped of course it did because Jesus was making a point Jesus was commanding the winds and the waves and he was bringing about fear in their life while Jesus was somewhere else and they were alone in the boat and they were and this is sort of how we feel you know we're alone in this life and is he attentive does he care is he watching does this matter And then when you start to get afraid, Jesus shows up. And when you start to doubt, Jesus is going to grab a hold of you. He's going to grab a hold of you. So to sum this all up, here's what happened. Next slide, please. Peter started out devout, had some doubt, thought about a reroute, and cried, get me out. (laughs) You can take a picture of that. I was proud of that. The staff helped me shorten it a bit. I had like, you know, a whole paragraph of of rhymes. He started out devout, had some doubt, thought about a reroute. He's thinking, I got to get out of here. This is, I got to go somewhere else and cried out, get me out of here. Listen, here's, here's when it comes down to our trust. Here's what happens with our trust, our faith. When it looks like it's not going to work out, we doubt and then check out. When, when Peter got out of the boat, when Peter got out of the boat, he started walking on water and he's just looking at Jesus. He's looking at who we all should be looking at every single day of our life. He, started, he was looking at Jesus and then he started looking at the circumstances around him and it was looking like this is not gonna work out for me. And then that's when he doubted, and that's when we doubt. When, the, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start looking at the circumstances of our life, that's when we start to doubt. And then what happens over time is we check out. You check out. So a couple principles, and then we'll, we'll go home. Couple principles. Number one, Jesus wants us to follow even where feet may fail. Jesus wants us to follow even where our feet may fail. This is, this is the lesson here. This is what Jesus is wanting to teach his closest companions, those who he knew had doubt. How many had, how many had doubt? 100% of them had doubt. Jesus says, I want you to follow me even where feet may fail. Even where you think that you can't go, I want you to follow me. I want you to go where you think you could never go before. Now, remember Jesus said, or excuse me, remember Peter said, Lord, command me. Command me to come out. You know what he's commanded us? Sin no more. Worry no more. Forgive every time. Don't fear. Do not be afraid. Don't doubt. 
You know what these are? These are commands. You know, you know why? You know why we can do these? Because Jesus said we can. If Jesus never said, don't sin, don't worry, don't fear, don't doubt, forgive every time, we would never, I would never ask you to do them. Nor would Jesus ever expect you to be able to do them. But just like, just like it was no big deal, this is so important, I hope you listen. Just like it was no big deal for Jesus to walk on water, just like it was no big deal to help Peter walk on water, it is no big deal for God to help you and me through our sin issues, through our unforgiveness, through our worries, and through our doubts. It is no, if he can let you walk on water, he can certainly let you walk where feet may fail. He can help you through all of these issues in life that we battle with. It's simple to God. Another example of this is Jesus gives in, in, in um, Mark wrote it down, but other, Matthew also wrote it down. He says, he says I, want you to, I want you to think about it in this way. He says, truly I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean, you know, that whatever you ask of God, as long as you muster up enough faith, that God will do your bidding for you. That's not what this means. This is not, listen to me, this is not name it, claim it. This is not a false gospel of prosperity that you think if I just, eh, faith, I just muster up enough faith that God will do whatever I want him to do. He'll give me that awesome car. If I just believe that he'll give it to me, that is false. It's false. This is... And, and, and this is, by the way, that mindset is Western culture thinking. This is Americanized gospel. God just does my bidding for me. God just, whatever I want him to do, God is gonna do. It's adjusting God, you know, God's will to, to my will. That's, no, sorry. I don't even know what to say about that. I just said no, sorry. I don't even know how to word that. But that's not what he's talking about. And as a matter of fact, in ancient Jewish culture, they didn't even take it that way. They didn't even hear that. They didn't hear, oh, name it, claim it. Oh, wow, God will do my bidding for me. Oh, wow, wow. That's not what they even heard. Because they had more reverence for God than that. You know what they heard? They heard that God can move a mountain if he wants. And what they knew about a mountain was this. They knew about a mountain, that a mountain was an immovable object, something immovable, something strong, something in the way, something that was an obstacle for them to get past. That's the way that they moved the mountain. So moving a certain mountain is no big deal to God. Moving your circumstantial mountain isn't either. Move in a certain mountain. God says, listen, if God wanted to move Mount Rainier, you know, Everest, 
He would. He could. He's that strong. He's that powerful. Don't you think that he can move your circumstantial mountain too? He can. Walking on water was no big deal to God. Walking on water was no big deal for Jesus. Walking with you through your weaknesses isn't either. You get, are you hearing this? Like this is the message. This is what Jesus is trying to show to them. Listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about, don't doubt. Listen, as much as I can let Peter walk on water, I'm gonna allow you, I'm gonna let you take those steps of faith as well. And what I command that you can do, you can do because I commanded it. And just like Peter walked on water, that was no big deal. And what Jesus wants to do in your life and walk with you through your weaknesses, through your circumstances, through your difficulties, through your doubts, that isn't a big deal to him either. You just gotta let him. You just gotta be willing to take that step of faith out of the boat. Yeah, everybody else is staying in the boat. Who cares? Let them stay in the boat. Everybody at work, they're just hanging out on the boat. People that I'm in community with, they just hang out on the boat. Even my own family, they just hang out on the boat. But not me. Be that. Be that kind of person of faith. All my friends are doing it. I'm, that's what everybody's doing. Everybody's just hanging out on the boat, enjoying the ride. And they weren't really enjoying the ride. Jesus had more for them. Be that one person that says, you know what I'm going to do? I hear his commands. And I'm going to take that step out. Because I know that when I take that step out and I start following Jesus and I'm looking at Jesus, I know this, that he makes my life better. You know what churches are full of? People that just sit in the boat. A lot of, you know what a lot of Christians are good at? Just sitting in the boat. Every once in a while, they're happy when Jesus shows up, but for the most part, they just feel alone. They feel afraid. You know, they get worried. Sin overtakes them. You know, they have their doubts. And that's, what the, that's the tragedy of the American church today is that there's a lot of boat sitters. Listen, I didn't come to pastor and oar through a bunch of whiners in a boat. I'm not staying in the boat. If you want to stay in the boat, you can stay in the boat. For me, Jesus is out there, and I'm going to go and walk where Jesus is. That's where I'm going to be. Even where I think my feet may fail, if I'm looking to Jesus, I believe I can keep walking. Let's be a church. Oh, the other churches, ah, they can stay in the boat. I don't want them to. But let's say Market Street Church, let's be people that are, like, let's just be people that are just walking on the water. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to explain the metaphor any better than that. Like, let's just get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Yeah, everybody else is hanging out, feels safer, more secure. You know, I'm floating around. Get out of the boat. Jesus says you can. And getting out of the boat is listening to his fabulous five commandments and walking with him.
Point number two, point number two. Jesus wants us to stand in one single state. What? You say, what is that talking about? Let, let me tell you what this means. Now, when Jesus said to Peter, why did you doubt? Okay, that word doubt is this. All right, let me have, okay. Doubt is diastasis. It's a Greek word, diastasis. Di means two or double. Stasis is, it means a position of standing or state. So diastasis means to stand, to stand. So when Jesus said to Peter, if you can throw that up there for me, Matthew 14, 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you, and here's what he said, why did you two stand? Why did you two stand? And so, as a matter of fact, this word doubt was used in another occasion. And if you were here the first week with us at this series, I shared this verse with you, but it was after Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus tells people to go to this mountain in Galilee, and this is where Jesus ascended into heaven at this point. This was probably where there was over 500 people there, you know, witnessing Jesus as alive. And it says that when Jesus says this in Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus has designated, verse 17. But when they saw him, they worshiped, but some were to stand. Some were doubtful, meaning they see him alive after they saw him die. He's now alive and they're going, well, I think it's him. I'm not really sure. And they're like wondering, do I worship him? Do I, you know, do I, what? I'm not really sure. They were to stand. They had, they had two states of mind. They were He's risen. He's Lord. He's our king. But they also were like, maybe? I don't know. Should, could be. They were to stand. Uh, let me try to illustrate it this way. So Jesus says, listen. I want you to be single stand. I want you to have one point of view. I want you to have one perspective. I want you to be here. I want you to trust me. I want you to have this one position. I just want this position is you trust me, you believe me. If if you if you know if if I command it, you can do it. If I command it, you can do it. It is this one state. What Peter had was, at first, Peter had this one state. He had, wow, I'm walking on water. This is amazing. This is incredible. I'm just looking at Jesus because that's where I should be looking at. But then Jesus said, why do you have two state? So then, then Peter's like, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at Jesus. The wind is really picking up. You see the waves. And then what he's doing is now he's doing something along these lines. Do you see it? 
James, the brother of Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus says, I'm having a hard time explaining this to people. This two stand versus one stand. Jesus, I want you to be single purposed. I want you to have one purpose and that is just trust, trust, trust. James says, "Ah, how do I explain this? So James coined a term and you've probably heard this before. So James is taking this concept. Look what James says in James chapter. By the way, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, spent time with Jesus, grew up with Jesus, is now a follower of Jesus, and he's writing this, this letter. James says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Well, that's great. That's awesome. That's amazing to know that God gives you wisdom. But then he says in verse 6, but he must ask in faith without any Doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. So he's saying the one who doubts is like this two-stand person, you know, that this is sort of unstable, you know. Trust me, if you did this, this is more stable, you know. I feel more secure in this way, okay. This, not so much. Yeah, you seeing this? This is not so much. He's going, okay. That's somebody who's doubts. They're just, un, they're just like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Boy, that's a sobering thought. And then he says this. And this is James's way of describing this two-stand thing. Being a double-minded man. So he says, James says, listen, be single-minded. Be single-minded, complete faith, I trust you, God. Whatever you command me to do, I can do. Whatever you call me to be and to go, I can go, I can do. This is what James says I want you to be. This is what Jesus says I want you to be. But but James is saying, listen, but a double-minded man, these chairs keep moving further and further apart. (laughs) But a double-minded man, is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man is like, they don't, they're like the wind, they're like the surf of the sea. They're just, they're unstable in everything they do. They're unstable. And that's why Jesus is going, Peter, you had it. You were single-minded. You were one-stand person, but then you let the circumstances of life dictate how you felt. And when the circumstances of life dictate how we feel, that's when we start to doubt. And then eventually we check out. I want you to be a one-stand person. I want you to be one single-minded person. (laughs) I got to share this. So, ah, I hate how long I go. It's annoying to me. I'm sorry. I'm sure you're more annoyed. (laughs) No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. John 6, I'm going to... I'm just going to read this, and I'm just going to let this settle for, for you. 
wherever you're at. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? You know what that means? This is a hard teaching. The teaching of sin no more, worry no more, don't fear, forgive every time, you know, do not doubt. Boy, these are hard things to listen to, aren't they? Can we be honest? They're, They're challenging. These are hard teachings. These are difficult statements. Who can listen to it? Verse 66 says this, as a result of these teachings of Jesus, as a result of of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. You know what they did? They're like, whoa, this is too hard for me. I'm out of here. Don't sin. Don't worry. Forgive every time. Don't doubt. Don't fear. (laughs) See ya. That's what they were doing. So, this, so Jesus, verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, the guys that we spent time with the most, the closest to Jesus, so Jesus says to the 12, you don't want to go away also, do you? You know what Jesus started to see the disciples are going? Like, let's go, let's go. Like, this is, he started, Jesus is teaching and he, and he sees the crowd, just the crowd's like, I'm out of here. I can't, this is too hard. This is, this is less complicated, but this is certainly more demanding. And he's watching the disciples start to head towards the door. You know, they're like, where's the door? Can we sneak out of here? You know, like quickly. And Jesus says, hey, hey, guys, guys, you don't want to leave too, do you? After knowing these five commands, you don't want to leave too, do you? And finally, Peter, the guy that, remember the guy that got out of the boat and walked on water? Finally, Peter said, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. So my question to you is, or the statement that you want to ask, or or what I would say to you is this, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? If getting out of the boat, it sounds too hard for you, and if you have your doubts, listen, that's okay. If you have your doubts, no big deal. People that followed Jesus, spent time with Jesus, they had their doubts. They had their fears. They had their worries. They had their unforgiving hearts. They had all of these things. Listen, but my question for you is this. Where are you going to go? What are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to the world? You're going to turn to some substance, some, some other way of, that you think that this is going to bring about happiness in your life or fulfillment in your life? Listen, Peter's going, guys, where are we going to go? Yeah, that's hard. That's demanding. It's less complicated, but it's certainly more demanding. But where are we going to go? He's the only one. This is so important. He's the only one who has words of eternal life. And we, he says in verse 69, for we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We believe. Not only do we believe, but we've come to know. Listen, I'm not here because I have this feelings, faith kind of a thing. Listen, I'm standing here today because I know who Jesus is. And he's worth following. He's worth following. And some of you may go, well, is it true? I know it's true. I know 
it's true. Where are you going to go? What are you going to turn to? I, I, I've discovered, more important than that, people that are a lot smarter than me have discovered that life doesn't give you what Jesus can. That's why we say following Jesus makes your life better and it makes you better at life. So you can continue in your faith like this. It's walking on water. I'm looking at Jesus. If I look anywhere else, uh-oh. Don't walk that way. You're unstable in all you do.